the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity now, uh, as we've already prayed, to sit uh, and to sit at your feet and to learn from you. And uh, Lord, we ask that you would make us wise people, uh, people who know your mind, who know and understand your world, who know and understand ourselves, and Lord, can live for you uh, in your place, in your world, under your rule, uh, and live a good life an enjoyable life and a fruitful life uh, which honours you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I want to uh, ask a very important question and maybe you can put your hand up um, uh, as I ask this question. Is there anyone here who doesn't like gelato? Oh, there's some people who... Oh, Tina. This relationship's over. Uh, not, not, not many. Well, I, I, uh, I have a bit of a, I have a weakness for ice cream and for gelato. Uh, but you know, who doesn't love, uh, who doesn't love ice cream? Well, apart from those people, clearly. But there's one problem, isn't there, with going to, you know, going out for ice cream, going to a gelato store. There's one problem. Well, how do you choose? How do you choose? What do you choose? You know, even if you, uh, even if you have like three, you, normally the max is three, three flavours. That's pretty, not that you can ever finish that. But even if you choose three, there's still another 20 flavours that you have to decide not to have. And so my experience of standing at the ice cream store is standing there for a very long time. If you're there with friends, no, 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 you go first, you know looking gracious and polite, all the time internally, fretful, worried, anxious. What could happen if I don't choose the right flavour? <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> it's a hard life, isn't it? It's, it's first, first world problems, I guess. We all recognise that, uh, that there are decisions like that in life which, uh, which can be challenging, which can challenge us, but we all realise at the same time that it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter, it's not going to ruin your life if you choose chocolate rather than English toffee uh, or whatever it might be, but there are lots of decisions in life that are not like that. There are, ice cream is just a matter of preference or what you maybe feel like on that day compared to another day, but there are lots of decisions in life that are not just matters of preference. Uh, lots of decisions matter, that is, they matter what we decide to do. And how much they matter varies, uh, but they still matter. So things like, who should I marry? Should I take this job? Should I buy this house? 
Uh, What should I do after I finish school? Uh, What subjects should I choose to study? Uh, What should I do this afternoon? Uh, How much work should I do every week? Or what should I do when I finish work? How should I relax? What's helpful? What's not helpful? There are lots of questions in life that we have to answer every day, and they matter. But how do we answer those questions? Well, that's where wisdom comes in. Wisdom is what helps us to make those decisions. And the book of Proverbs, which we're starting today, we're going to be doing, uh, working through this book over a number of weeks. The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom and learning to be wise and making wise choices. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking through Proverbs, we're going to be looking at some of the ideas behind wisdom, what it means to be wise, how we can be wise in general, and then we'll be looking at particular topics as well, like anger and uh, uh, what does it mean to be wise with money, or uh, how do we make wise plans. Uh, and we, As we do that, we're going to be working through lots of the, uh, the different Proverbs that we find in the book of Proverbs. But this morning what I want to do is just take a step back and think about what does it mean to be wise, uh, to get our bearings, to think about, pro, uh, to think about wisdom and to think about uh, Proverbs. So what is a proverb and uh, what is wisdom and how do Proverbs work? Well, a proverb, generally speaking, is a kind of a pithy statement, a pithy saying that uncovers a general truth. A proverb is not necessarily a rule. Uh, it's not necessarily saying that if you don't do this, you'll be guilty of a, breaking a law or, of a, or committing a particular sin. So, for example, here's one Proverbs 23 verse 9. Don't speak to fools, for they will scorn your proof words. Does that mean that we should never speak to a fool? Is that what the point of this is? Is it a rule? Don't ever speak to a fool. Well, I might have to leave the building, wouldn't I? Ouch. No, the proverb is making a general observation about the potential cost of speaking to a fool, and it's urging us to be cautious. Be careful what you say to someone who's not wise. That's what it's saying. But a proverb can be a rule. So, don't envy the violent or choose any of their ways. The purpose of that proverb is to say, don't ever do it. It's just not worth it. Don't envy the wise. Don't envy the violent. The reason is, as the next verse goes on to say, because God detests evil. Don't envy it. God hates it. What both those proverbs share, however, is the conviction that there's good ways to live and there are bad ways to live. There are wise ways to live and there are unwise ways to live. And of course, some things are more unwise than others and some things have worse consequences than others, but they're both issues of wisdom or a lack of wisdom. So it's unwise, for instance, to spend $10 that you don't have uh, buying lunch. Right? That's unwise to spend money that you don't have to buy lunch. But it's far more unwise to buy a house that you can't afford than to buy lunch that you can't afford, right? And that's what Proverbs is dealing with. Some things are, are, are kind of matters of kind of less importance, but they're still wise or unwise. And there are some things that are of great importance. 
that really matter. Both are unwise, but one is wiser or more unwise than the other. So speaking to a fool might end in tears, but you'll escape with your life. But envying the wicked and choosing their ways can be downright idiotic, catastrophic, because it's a move against God. So Proverbs lays out these general truths about life in God's uh, world. They're not rules per se, they're about wisdom, knowing what's, what's wise and what isn't. But we should also understand that Proverbs are not promises. So they're not necessarily saying that if you do this thing, everything will sort of pan out for the best, everything will work out. So for example, Proverbs 27 verse 18, the one who guards a fig tree will eat its fruit and whoever protects their master will be honoured. Is that always true? If you vigilantly look after your fruit trees, will they always bear fruit? What if there's a hailstorm? You know, what if there's a drought? What if there's a fire? What if a thief comes in in the middle of the night and steals all the fruit? Obviously, to think like that is to overread the proverb and to miss the point. This proverb isn't a guarantee. If you do this, it will all work out. But it's a guide to the general nature of life. If you look after your trees, you're more likely to eat the fruit of them. If you don't look after them, if you're a lazy slob, well, it's your own fault that you don't have any fruit on the trees. So Proverbs are not rules and they're not promises but they also require wisdom to apply. So they teach us to be wise, but they also require us to use wisdom in deploying them. So the classic example of that is this, these two proverbs in chapter 24. Don't answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. So which one is it? Do you answer a fool according to his folly, or do you not answer a fool according to his folly? The answer is, both are true. But they're true at different times. Sometimes answering a fool according to his folly is the best thing to, to, best thing to do. At other times, it isn't. Uh, even our own Proverbs express that same kind of variability. Uh, so we say, many hands make light work and too many cooks spoil the broth. You're probably sitting there in your kitchen every day just thinking, gosh, which one is it? Which one am I supposed to do today? Do I need help or don't I? Ah! But we, under, we understand how they work, don't they? We understand that those things are applied differently in different circumstances to teach us something about the way that the world works and what's good and what isn't. You need to know not just one of those problems, but both of them in order to understand how the world works and to be able to apply them in the specific situations that we face. In that way, wisdom is really about living in the greyness of life. 
Uh, lots of questions require wisdom rather than rules. So, should I take this job is not a right and wrong question, often. It might be. It's, but it's not a black, there's not a black and white answer sometimes to that, to that question. Should I buy this house? Is not necessarily a right or wrong question, but a what's wise or what's unwise question. Uh, it might not be wrong to take the job or to buy the house, but it could be unwise. It could have disastrous consequences in the long run. Or it could be one of the best ideas that you've ever had. To make things even more complicated, not only are some things not matters of right and wrong, but wise or unwise, the answers are not the same for every person. So maybe I should take that job, but you shouldn't. And maybe at this point in my life, that job is better, but maybe in a few years' time, it won't be. So they're not necessarily questions of good or evil, though they can be, but they're questions of wisdom. And that changes, the circumstances change, and we need wisdom to be able to make those decisions. And Proverbs helps us to be wise. It helps to make us wise so we can make wise decisions. It helps us by showing the kinds of things that we should consider. What do we need to take into account? What's important to know? What matters, what doesn't matter? It helps us by showing what's good and what isn't good, what's delightful and what isn't, what will cause us to prosper and others to prosper and what will drive us or others into the ground. It helps us by showing what works and what doesn't and what pleases God and what doesn't. So Proverbs helps us to be wise in making those decisions in that kind of, those, if you like, grey areas or uncertain areas, I guess. But it also helps us with right and wrong as well. Right and wrong is still matters of wisdom. To do something which is wrong is utterly foolish. And Proverbs is helpful because it not, doesn't just tell us that things are foolish, it doesn't just tell us that doing things that God hates is foolish, it convinces us that that's true. So Proverbs doesn't just tell us that adultery is wrong, it convinces us that it will destroy our lives and the lives of those around us. Proverbs doesn't just tell us that uh, honesty is important, it shows us that gaining things by deception is like eating a cake which turns into gravel in, the, in your mouth. You know, it starts off well, but in the end, it's not that great. Proverbs doesn't just tell us that being lazy is wrong. It convinces us that actually working hard is a delight. Proverbs is designed to help us to be wise in all the facets of life whether that's in those areas of uncertainty, what should I do here, what shouldn't I do? Or whether it's even in those areas of right and wrong. It's designed to show us the better way and it's designed to help us to live uh, in that better way. 
So Proverbs is about learning to live wisely in God's world. That's, that's the key thing. But implicit in Proverbs 2 is the idea that wisdom is something that can be learnt. Wisdom doesn't just drop into our laps uh, from on high. Wisdom isn't just something that you automatically kind of get as you get older. It's not something that you have to lack because you're young. You can have wisdom at any age. You can lack wisdom at any age, but fundamentally it's something that can be learned. So Solomon begins Proverbs by saying that the Proverbs are for gaining wisdom and instruction. You can gain it. It's for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what's right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Uh, If you read on the verse, the next verse after we finished reading in verse 8, he says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. And don't forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. If you're parents, you might want to just print that out when you get home and stick it on the fridge uh, and on the back of the toilet door as well. The idea is, isn't it, that wisdom is something that can be learned. Solomon says that we can learn from others how to live a a good life and we can learn uh, from God how to live a wise life and we can learn before we get there. Now that might not seem like a very controversial statement, but actually in some ways it is. So consider these kinds of ideas, these kinds of sentiments. They have to learn for themselves. I have to let them make their own mistakes. Don't tell me how to live my life. Leave me alone to make my own decisions. In contrast to those ideas that are popular, I think, in the way that many people in our society and our culture think about life, in contrast to those ideas, God invites us to learn wisdom and to learn wisdom from him. He invites us through Solomon to learn from him so that we don't have to suffer the tragedy of poor choices. Sure, you can learn from mistakes, absolutely. You can also not learn from mistakes. But how much better to learn before you make a bad decision? How much better to learn before you make a bad mistake? How much better to learn before you destroy your own life and the lives of those around you? Only a fool would wait until after to start thinking about how to be wise. How much better to learn from Proverbs to speak carefully than it is to learn to speak carefully by destroying our friendship or shipwrecking our career by speaking incautious words? Or how much better to learn from Proverbs to control our anger than it is to learn to control our anger by being convicted of assault? How much better to learn from Proverbs what it is that makes a good marriage or what it is that makes good parents than it is to learn that after the fact? Once you've already made lots of mistakes, how much better to learn in advance? Only a fool would choose to learn by mistakes over learning wisdom in advance from God. Which is why Solomon says, only fools despise wisdom and instruction in wisdom. 
And Proverbs invites us not only to learn wisdom for ourselves, but it invites us to teach wisdom to others. Solomon's not just interested in learning wisdom, he wants to teach it. Listen to my instruction, my son, he says. So again, of course, people can learn from mistakes, but how much better would it be for them to learn without having to make those mistakes? How much better if we can give them that guidance by teaching them God's wisdom so that they don't have to suffer the effects of their bad choices? How much better to teach them that than to just let them plunge themselves into poor choices? And of course we can't force people to make wise decisions. At some level you do have to let people make their own decisions. But there's a difference, I think, between letting someone make their own decision and letting them plunge headlong into folly because we withhold wise counsel from them. A wise friend once said to me, you can't make people make, you can't make, people make wise decisions, but you can give them good advice. And that idea lies at the heart of Proverbs. Good advice for wise living. Good advice that we can learn beforehand. So Proverbs teach us to live wisely in God's world. It encourages us to learn wisdom and to teach wisdom to others. But it also encourages us to live a reflective life. It invites us to learn through observing God's world. So consider this proverb. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer, uh, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So the proverb is inviting us to learn about the world and what's good and what's wise by observing an ant. Or listen to this one. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. So in that proverb, the writer is walking past someone else's field. The field's a shambles. It's a complete wreck. There's weeds growing everywhere. And he thinks about what's going on. And he learns a lesson about uh, work versus laziness. Proverbs invites us to observe the world and to reflect on it. Why are things the way they are? Why does that work and why does that fail? Sometimes Proverbs will tell us what's good and what isn't. But sometimes it just observes observes a fact and invites us to reflect and to think about what's going on. The underlying conviction is that the way that the world works reflects something of the character and the purpose of God. And because of that, because God's wisdom and God's purposes are in the structure of the world, then by observing the world, we can learn about God and learn about God's ways. 
Uh, I often tell people, uh, for instance, who are looking to get married or who are looking to, ki- uh, to have kids, I often say, find some, find some families that you think do a good job of being married and having kids and just watch them. Just look at what they do. Just, just observe, you know? And if they invite you over for dinner, great. And, and, and see what they do at dinner time and see how they deal with the kids and see how they, how they put the kids to bed and... And whatever it is. And learn from them. Learn from their wisdom. We can observe. We can look and we can see. And see what works and learn from that. And we can learn from what others have observed about the world too. We can learn from the observations of scientists. Learn from their observations about the world. They're observing God's world. Last year I read a book. I think everyone's read that book. Well, I don't know. Everyone keeps talking about it in the media and other, other books that I read. It was called Why We Sleep. It's by a neuroscientist who spent 30 years uh, studying sleep. And it's a great book. It's just a very helpful book for understanding the human body and the importance of sleep, the way that God has made us. And learning that, observing that, helps us to be wise about how we live in God's world. The basic takeaway, in case you're wondering, is... If you don't sleep, it's not going to end well for you. Pretty much just write off everything, learning, you know, driving safely, whatever it is. Uh, You just can't do anything, basically. So sleep, that's the motto. But we can learn from that. And in fact, ignoring those observations about God's world, world makes us fools. Because that's the way that God has designed us. I mentioned a few weeks ago another book by a guy called Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism. He's not a Christian, but he's, a, he's an author who thinks about the world, observes things, and he has wonderful insights about how digital technology has encroached uh, on our lives. We can learn things from people like that. We might not always agree with their reflections or agree with their solutions. We might agree with them, of course, as well. But their observations can help us to see things that we might not otherwise have seen. Now, that kind of reflection takes time. We need space to reflect, time to think. As uh, Plato said, an unexamined life is not worth living. We We need to give ourselves time to think about the world in which God has placed us, the circumstances in which God has placed us. So leave your phone at home and go for a walk and think about the world and think about your life circumstances and observe and learn and reflect. So wisdom helps us to live a life well. It calls us to learn and teach wisdom. It calls us to reflect on life in God's world, to observe how God's world works. But finally, Solomon shows us that wisdom has an anchor point. How does our reflection, for instance, on the world fit in with God's wisdom? That's an important question. And that's what Solomon seeks to answer in this little introduction. He says in verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon wants to frame this whole book of wisdom, this whole idea of wisdom, and he does that by giving it a key reference point, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to fear God? It doesn't mean to be terrified of God. It's rather, rather it means to stand in awe of God. It's to recognize his greatness and his power and his justice, but also it's to recognize his love and his mercy and his grace, especially his love and his mercy and grace in Jesus. To fear God means to realize that God is our judge. Uh, But he's also a merciful judge and a saviour who sent his own son to redeem us. And the fear of God means recognizing both those things and coming to God as our judge and our saviour and trusting him. In that way, the fear of God is a kind of a reverent trust, an awe-inspired trust in God as our saviour and judge in Jesus Christ. So in what way then is the fear of the Lord the beginning of wisdom? Well, let me give two ways in finishing. The fear of the Lord is at the beginning of wisdom in the first place in the sense that all the other proverbs and tips for wise living are meaningless unless you've first made that most important step of entrusting your life to God in Jesus. All those other things about wisdom are meaningless unless you've taken that first step of entrusting your life to God in Jesus. So to know whether or not uh, you should take a bribe or to know how to be a good parent or to know how to deal with money uh, or, or the lack of money, to know all those things is useful, but it pales into insignificance if we're not living in a relationship with the God who made us. You might be the wisest person in the world about making decisions in ordinary life. You might be the wisest investor. Uh, You might be the wisest person in how you speak. But if you don't fear God, if you haven't come to trust God as judge and saviour, then you're a fool. You can be the wisest person in the world, but if you don't trust God as saviour and judge, you're a fool. You can't be wise without first humbling yourself before God and submitting to him and trusting him and seeking his grace in Jesus Christ. Everything else is just window dressing. It needs to be said, I think, to be clear that the Proverbs are not the gospel. The Proverbs are not telling us how to get to God. They're not telling us how to be saved, they're spelling out what it looks like to live a life once we know God, once we are saved in Jesus Christ. They tell us how to live wisely as God's people. The Proverbs were written by King Solomon and the historical setting of Proverbs is that God has redeemed a people for himself. He's redeemed them out of slavery. He's brought them into a land that he's promised to give them. He's set over them a king. They're living in God's place under God's rule. And now he's showing them through Solomon what it means to live there, what it means to live wisely in that place. They're not working out how to be delivered. They've been delivered. And Proverbs works the same way for us. They're not teaching us the gospel. They're not telling us the good news that Jesus died for sins. 
They're not directly inviting us into a relationship with God by entrusting ourselves to Jesus. They're teaching people who know Jesus and have been rescued by him. They're teaching those people how to live wisely under King Jesus in his world. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in another sense. And that is the fear of the Lord is a foundation on which all our other wisdom is built and assessed. In fact, one flows from the other. So if knowing God is the most important piece of wisdom that we can ever have, then knowing God must form the way that we interact with God's world. The underlying conviction, as I said, of Proverbs is that the way that the world works reflects something of the character and the plan and the purpose of God. But the problem is, is that the world is distorted by sin. And so our observations of the world can be unreliable guides. So sometimes what works is right. So if you work hard, you'll usually turn a profit. So what works is a wise guide for how we should live. We should, be, we should work rather than be lazy. But sometimes what works isn't a reliable guide. A bribe can work. Proverbs tells us that. But that doesn't mean that it's right. Proverbs tells us that it promotes injustice. For that reason, all our observations of the world have to be seen through the broader prism of God's word. So the most fundamental question we can ask is not what works, but what honours God. We can't be wise until we subject everything to God. The fear of God brings all those other observations into perspective. They're like the pair of glasses, if you like, that we have to put on in order to see the world clearly. Ultimately, the Bible, as God's revealed word, his spoken wisdom, is the lens through which we need to understand our observations of the world. And we need to submit everything that we see and experience, all our decisions, to that wisdom most of all. Well, hopefully over the weeks ahead, that's what we can grow in. We can grow in observing and reflecting in listening and learning and fearing God. I'm excited, actually. I'm excited about the opportunity that we have over the next couple of months to stop to slow down, to hear and to reflect, to hear about what's wise and what isn't in lots of spheres of life, in our words, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our, the way we use our money, to reflect on what we're doing that's unwise and maybe that we need to change. And to see a great vision of what it means to be wise in God's world and how we can live better as God's people in God's place under God's rule. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom. Lord, thank you that you are the 
very source of wisdom. You are wisdom itself. Uh, Lord, thank you that you've made that wisdom known to us in the Bible, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for that great wisdom of salvation, uh, that through Jesus' death and resurrection we can be reconciled to you. And Lord, we ask that each one of us would have appropriated and taken hold of that heart of wisdom, uh, that we would have made that wisest step of all to entrust ourselves to you as our saviour and judge in Jesus Christ. But Lord, we also pray that uh, we might learn to be wise in every area of our lives. Lord, there's so many decisions that we have to make every day and we want to honour you in the way that we make those decisions and the things that we decide to do and the things that we decide not to do. And so, Lord, we ask so much that you would help us to grow in wisdom so that our lives would reflect your wisdom and be shining examples of just how wise uh, and glorious and majestic you really are. So, Lord, do that, we pray, uh, over these coming weeks. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.